What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 174. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. I am very excited to spend an entire podcast episode just talking about the ways to put Titanic growth into green-white decks. I, I, I think I saw a thread on Twitter that said Titanic growth is the best and I should just be putting it on my decks. Whoa! <laughs> Hold your horses there, young fella. <laughs> I think that you should rethink your statements here. Obviously, Titanic growth is a great card. It's very situational, though. I think that you will find it that green-white, I guess there might be a home in there for it, but um, if you want to replay Titanic growth, green-red is the way. You want to make sure that you put your trampling creatures, you want to put your monster rolls, and you want to smash face through that. That's my advice on that. I would stick to Auras if I would be drafting green-white. <laughs> Hold on. We, we have Sirkovitz here today. Uh, I guess we won't be talking about that. Maybe I should go reread that thread, as should all of our listeners. Uh, it's a great thread. We'll link it in the description. First of all, thank you very much for misinterpreting my thread. I wrote a thread <laughs> where I worked so hard to try to maybe communicate the idea of what a win rate is to people. And then I clutched on that example of Titanic growth. And by accident, I wrote a thread about how to use Titanic growth. And now everyone remembers that it's a Titanic growth thread and not a win rate thread. <laughs> it's all about how you depict the win rate. That was the most important part of it. Also, I and it is with great. A, also, I trophied with a Titanic growth deck today. So. <laughs> uh, I mean, then you clearly your point stands. And uh, I guess my misinterpretation, take that as a data point, you know? It is a data point. It, I'm, I'm a failed communicator and I have to work <laughs> on myself. And uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's a great show, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Let us know. Your, all right. All right. Anyway, uh, it's it's been a big week for Magic. There's been some big announcements and we thought it'd be cool to get together some relatively level-headed magic players and chat about the facts of what's happening here not for modern <laughs> <laughs> we will touch on that as well but before we do of course our usual housekeeping do check out the discord if you're not already in there it's the best place to be to chat all things mtg come say hi to us and the rest of the aficionado community actually coined by Sirkovitz here. So um, do check that out. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Again, things are kind of in flux right now if you're listening to this when the episode releases. Uh, so you may not be able to join just yet. But uh, if you're listening to this in the future, do check that out. Uh, we really appreciate the support of all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. So thank you all for that. We are going to skip our Kraken Draft type thing this week just because we've got a lot to talk about, but we will jump right into our Teferi Tybalt. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off and then we can kind of rotate around. Sure. My Tybalt this week, we'll start with this. It's funny, Sergevitz, I actually messaged you as I was leaving a tutoring session after school, and I said um, something on the lines of, if traffic is all good, I should be back and we can start early, right? That was the case. I responded with a meme because that's how you should respond. <laughs> It was a great one. Just one more road, bro. Just one more road. <laughs> but uh, it turns out today I hit the worst traffic I've hit driving home from from work in the two years that I've been working there. Multiple accidents. It took me an hour to get back. And it is on the one day that I absolutely did not be late because we have the pleasure of Circuits joining us where it is very late at, at his recording time, as opposed to us where it's only about 6 p.m. So we appreciate you being here with us at, uh, I don't know, past your bedtime? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I usually go to sleep around between one and three, so it's still okay. 
that's why I said yes. I mean, I'm not going to say yes to something I can physically do. Well, thanks I, anyway. I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, my Teferi this week, um, I bought a new mouse, a new computer mouse. It's been ages since I've, I've gotten a new one. And this one I managed to sync up to my, my PC lights. So, you know, I'm happy about that. Uh, I've been playing a bit of standard. I've been kind of back to back to back to back 5 0 with a humans list, a green white humans list, which. For the, it's kind of my happy place. I love playing a good green-white humans list, and it's basically the monorite beatdown deck just with the Sigardas as top end, the, uh, the four-mana one from the old set, and also the epilogue set. Uh, I don't know. I'd never seen the card before, and then I realized it was a good humans card, and it's been doing wonders. So uh, been having fun in standard. Weird. <laughs> Wait, old Sigarda and standard? You mean the one from Midnight Hunt? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. There's like an older one from Innistrad original something, Shadows over Innistrad? I that guess there's... be historic or something. That's why I'm yeah, confused. Yeah, I guess there's four of them now. There's the one that gives everything hexproof, and then yeah. the one that you pay two to make human tokens. And then, and then, plus then one, the one... one? Yeah, plus one, plus one. And then this new one, that it's like an Augur of Autumn effect. It lets you play uh, creature, play humans and angels off the top of your library, I think. And uh, gives them must all be from the aftermath, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Zach, what's up? Um, yeah, my Teferi is that we finally have like real fall weather here in the Northeast. Um, it's been like the high 50s, low 60s pretty much every day uh, over the last week or so. So it's getting chilly. It smells like fall, which is my favorite season and I, one of my favorite parts of the year. But um, also it's been raining almost nonstop. I think 13 of the last 16 weeks we've had rain. Six yeah. of the last like nine weekends we've had rain. So yep. like can it can it just stop, please? Like <laughs> I'm drenched. I'm soaked. Let's let's get dry. I'm I don't are, like this. Are you sure I'm the one in UK and you're the one in US? <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't know what's happening here, but uh yeah, I'm not enjoying it. We've swapped weather patterns. Circovitz, how's turn. it going for you? Yeah. Uh uh my Tibalt, uh, I guess, uh, I got a paper rejected today, and i that's not even the Tibalt, because that happens all the time in science. The Tibalt part of it is that the reviewers actually had valid points, so I cannot be really angry about it, and that's Ooh. the worst part, so I have to accept <laughs> it, and it makes me furious inside. My Teferi, I, I crossed 5k uh, followers on Twitter today. This is a hey. big uh, milestone for me, so I'm quite happy about it. Congratulations. You know, I also had this little thing called Rhystic Studies video with me. That was uh, pretty, pretty <laughs> That's decent. True. I guess it was a week and a half ago, so it technically doesn't count. But I'm not here every week, so I can stretch those definitions. That's true. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, we were really, really excited to see you, uh, you and Rhystic Studies do a collab there. That was really cool. Yeah, it was exactly what I hoped it would be. It was awesome. Anyone that is listening to this that somehow hasn't seen that already, please go check that out. We'll link it as well. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Calcifer, who asks, what's your favorite place that isn't within 50 miles of where you live? Oh, cool question. Zach, what do you got? Well, uh, I think prior to September of this year, I would have said Germany flat out, because it's one of my favorite places and is definitely more than 50 miles from where I live. Uh, but Zion, I mean, I I've talked about it on the show a few times. I just got back from Zion like a month ago. Um, Zion national park in, in the kind of Western United States. And that I think eclipsed Germany, maybe 
at least that trip did. I don't know. Uh, both are beautiful, but Zion was kind of breathtaking. So I think Zion's got, got number one in my heart right now. I think I'm on Acadia National Park, uh, located in Maine. There are a lot of national parks that I'm a big fan of, and I do feel that those one of them would have to be my favorite. <sighs> kind of hard to pick. I really liked some of the ones out in Colorado and Arizona, but I think I would go with Acadia. I just, you know, just love lobster too much. <laughs> I'll go with Sicily. Go on then. Uh, it's an amazing place. If you have never been to, I highly recommend it. It's like a good combination of culture, good food, and excellent weather and nature and everything is there it's just like a microcosm of of everything you want from mediterranean on one island that is at the same time as being typical for mediterranean it's also very characteristic on its own it's uh, super fun to be there listeners curious about what you all think for this if there's any 50 mile away places uh maybe even some that are near other listeners i don't know if people know this but there's listeners from all over the world that, that listen to this show which is awesome we love seeing that data come in uh so drop some of your favorite places maybe you're close to someone else or closer than you thought and if you'd like to have your question answered on the show jump into the discord and check out the listener questions channel that's where we grab those so we'd love to hear from you but with that, let's move on to our main topic this week, which is the end of Limited as we know it. A bit dramatic, I know, but I think no matter where you land on either side of the spectrum or whether you're in the middle or whatever, that statement is true. I think this is the end of Limited as we know it, and we'll get into why in a little bit. Um, but we got a ton of announcements this week, and I think we were all expecting a certain announcement that we didn't get. So Ben, what was <laughs> that? And then we can kind of go into the big announcement that nobody was expecting and some people seem excited about and some people seem furious about. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the one thing we kind of expected was some sort of ban list update. There was a banned and restricted announcement and Magic has announced before that they're changing the way they run these, right? That they're only having them every so often. Uh, at least these emergency ones are trying to do less and prolong the standard rotation cycle. And they're playing with the formats a bit, which is good. But most people expected some sort of ban on at least one offender in Modern. I actually ran a poll uh, on Twitter just to see what was Sorry, X, just to see what was happening, uh, see what the general consensus lie. Uh, my poll results had grief pulling ahead with around 42% of people saying uh, that grief was most likely to be banned. Fury following at 26-ish percent, uh, the One Ring following at 18, 19%, and the Beans up the Beanstalk at around 14%. So most people thought grief was going to get the ban. Uh, nothing. Nothing got banned in modern or in any format. There were no unbans, which they've been trying to do more of lately. Uh, no changes, but the big announcement came not to update the fact that scam is 20% of the field in modern, which I personally like because my deck has a good win rate against scam. But the big news is again, is about play boosters. Now, people that are terminally on magic Twitter, which unfortunately I think us, we all, everyone present here is <laughs> to those that are less. So you may not have even encountered this news yet. Wizards is going to be changing the way packs work. Sirkovitz, uh, what have you heard about this? Well, it's, first of all, I, I think that the ban announcement for Modern is about right. I think that if anything should be banned, you should ban every single one of those common uh, reanimation spells that you use in Scam. Every single one mm. of them. Each. And that will solve a lot of problems. Um, you will not be able to grief and recur it very easily. 
you will have to play white with a femorate or something like that. Um, that will make it uh, much easier for the uh, format to deal with because the white black deck is beatable. Uh, I think uh, more so than Scam, the Rakdos version is. I'll so give you that. All, it is. First of all, that's it. Of course, also ban, ban Force of Vigor and preferably Magus of the Moon because I'm an Amulet player and that's why. <laughs> um, but apart from that, there is the announcement of the new uh, style of booster, which is not something really new. It's a mixture between a set booster and a draft booster. And of course, Wizards thought, oh, we're going to make everyone happy. The people that love set boosters are going to love the fact that we are putting more weight on the fact that the set booster is a better thing. And draft players will love it because it's, of course, like a draft booster, but more cards, more rares, and more everything. Obviously, everyone hated it. So, um, <laughs> well, maybe not everyone, uh, as we'll get to, but, um, but lots of people did dislike it. I think that what you say about the end of drafting as we know it, I would agree with it. But it's also the beginning of the drafting as we will get to know it. And I think that's exactly. better to focus on the fact that this is the beginning of something because we don't have any agency over what's going to happen. So we either can be angry and miserable or we can accept that changes are there and um, try to look for positives and not... I don't want you to look for positives just forcingly, but I want you to maybe not to be negative for the sake of being negative and miserable because that doesn't help you first of all and i think that it, for your own personal health don't try to find negatives when maybe they are not um, mm -hmm. and i think that there are negative things with the new announcement and i think that there are neutral things i think that there are things that will make a change and will cause things to be different um, and they should also all be looked through with sort of objective lens in mind. And um, one big thing that changes is the composition of the pack. Shall I be going on composition of the pack, how it looks like, and go into more details? I did some mathematics on that, and I also wrote We would love thread. to hear them. <laughs> of course, since I wrote that thread, the numbers have changed slightly, which means that my thread, thread is sort of obsolete, but very well um, uh, shared. So probably most people still think that this is the reality. Unfortunately, wizards, as always, are very vague about the pack composition, so uh, some guesses needed to be made when I was writing it very quickly after the announcement. Um, later, Maro wrote extra information, because why would you write an article that initially tells everything, and if, if it actually contained everything? Uh, so based on his new numbers that I still don't 100% trust, but I have to respect in some way, those numbers are going to be changing. But I think if we look at it, the gist of it is that boosters are going to be one card shorter um, in terms of playable cards. So it will only have um, uh, 14 cards, but one of them will be a basic land. Uh, so 13 playable cards. Hmm. There will be six commons that are guaranteed. And people looked at that announcement and said, oh, no, only six commons. But that's not very much not the full story. These are the six guaranteed commons. These are the six cards that will for sure be common. Then there's going to be three uncommons, uh, like in the normal pack right now. So nothing changes there. And one rare or mythic slot. So these things are sort of the same as in the current uh, draft boosters. What's going to change? There is going to be an additional slot that has a card from the list or a common. <laughs> uh, the list is this mysterious entity that has some absolutely random cards. Uh, for example, 
recently in one of the sets, you could just randomly open in a set booster a Renan 6. Sure. Why and not? <laughs> the chance of that is microscopic. So the slot that has the list card or the common, 87.5% of the time will have a common, which means that, you know, seven out of eight packs will just have a seventh common in there. One but drafter will get something weird. In a, per draft, you'll get three cards from the list uh, mm, on average true. because there's 24 packs. But yeah, one drafter per each, uh, per each round of the draft will open on average the card from the list. And still, even if you open the card from the list, there is a chance that that card is a common. Uh, and I think it is roughly 75% of the cards from the list are going to be commons and uncommons, which means that around 3% of the time you, you may open um, a rare. Hmm. So Gives a rare card from the list, we don't know exactly what the cards from the list are going to be uh, in the next set that those play boosters are going to be available in, which will be the... Um, uh, which Murder will be Carl of Manor. The Carl of Manor Mysteries or whatever it's called. We do know as well that they're making pretty drastic changes to the list. Today, the list is 300 cards. In As they release play boosters, they're dropping it down to 50. So there'll be 10 of these signature or special guests, which they're calling, which will actually be introduced in Ixalan. Um, but we'll get, I guess, 10 different ones in Carl of Manor and then 40 cards for the list that are just, as you said, Sigurd, it's just completely random. So mm. a way shorter list. Yeah. So it will be also a bit more predictable because if you have like 300 random cards introduced here and there, you might not play around certain things, which is okay if you want to draft it. And I also like think that those special guests that they are advertising, we already had them. If you remember in, yep. uh, in Mum, you had those randomly inserted creators. That was the, probably the trial run for those um, uh, special guest cards. Uh, that was be my estimate. And actually, the whole clue of my thread was that the new pack collation is looking super similar to the pack collation of uh, uh, March of the Machine. Yeah, uh, and they probably ran it through the first time. So if people think that they never experienced the draft experience of the new pack, I'm pretty sure you did, and it was the uh, 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 March of the Machine. And, and people actually, loved it. I don't remember people complaining opening an extra <laughs> rare here and there. No, not really. In fact, people were excited. I mean, let's be honest, as Magic players, we usually like opening packs, particularly in draft, and we like opening cool rares to play with, right? Yeah. Now, keep in mind, we're talking here about strictly the experience of the packs. There is another drawback of the new system, which is the price, which we'll touch on later. But okay, mm -hmm. so we have six commons, uh, three uncommons, one rare, one card that is like 97% of the time going to be a common uh, or uncommon maybe in some few cases, and 3% of the time a rare um, from the list. Then there is a wildcard slot in non-foil and in foil, which means also that every single pack will contain a foil. So for the Pringle fans, um, you're going to have plenty of those lying around because every pack will have one foil card. And these, uh, this is where my analysis sort of failed because uh, they, of course, didn't say what is the percentages of uh, uh, rare, um, uncommon, and common mm. slots. I assumed that 
Wizards are not going to be generous. Uh, I assume 75% of the time is going to be a common, 20% of the time is going to be un uncommon, and 5% of the time is going to be a rare or a mythic. Turns out that according to the numbers that uh, Mark Rosewater shared with us, it's going to be much more frequently a rare. Uh, based mm. on what he wrote, it's going to be relative roughly 18% of the time. It's going to be a, a rare or a mythic. Oh, wow. So that's quite a lot because there are two of those slots. So 18% chance in each of those slots that there's going to be an additional rare. Um, but you easily can also get a common. So that there's a good chance that you're just going to open a normal magic pack that has three rares, uh, three uncommons, one rare, and the rest of the cards are common. Yeah. Um, plus, there is also a, um, a land slot, which will be a basic land in the next upcoming set. But they also said that if there are going to be a cycle of common basic uh, dual lands, like gain lands or something like that, they're going to be introduced in that slot. So uh, you're going to have one guaranteed non-basic um, common land in the land slot in some hmm. of the sets. And potentially, I, again, we, we are not sure if there are going to be non-basics in every single pack or there's going to be like 60% of the packs will have a non-basic, 40% will have a basic. We, we have no idea about that yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, there might be an additional playable card uh, in some boosters if there are those uh, dual lands. And you're gonna get a slot number 15, which used to be a token, but now it can be a token or an art card. So 33% of the packs will have an art card, something that was in set boosters, you know, those like big art cards that no one knows what to do with them. <laughs> uh, you get, you, you, you're gonna get more of those if you play drafts, because now you're gonna open them randomly and um, uh, they will fill your chaff box for some reason. You know, I did actually see someone made an entire commander deck of just those, and they just simply memorized what every single card did. I know it's kind of funny. <laughs> I know exactly who that was. That was the Jake Brown. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is hilarious. Mox Amber, 50p, no problem. <laughs> Fantastic. I may have to copy Jake then. I'll, I'll go find whatever he posted about that. Now, these changes, these weren't made without reason. And again, as Sirkovitz, as you mentioned, these are, this is like a, a hybrid of the two existing packs. So some of the things that Mark Rosewater cited as reasons for this change, uh, set boosters were just selling better. They were selling more set boosters than draft boosters, which, let's be honest, that makes sense. People wanted to open the things that had a higher chance of giving them the valuable cards that they needed for their collection or to hope to spike a rare instead of buying singles or whatever the professor wants to <laughs> say about that. And, and that could even cause some inventory issues, right? I appreciated that Mark got specific into details and said, well, if a store knows they're going to sell more set boosters, then they have to judge beforehand how many to order. And then what if they don't order enough? What if they order too many draft boosters and then no one buys them or no one drafts? And then when they do run out of money, then it makes it harder to fire drafts because then they can't get enough draft boosters instead of set boosters, which the prizes for draft are often set boosters. I don't envy the people that have to work with these logistics. And no, the... it, it definitely it, it takes time. It's it's annoying. I understand that aspect. I have to from the, you know, from the duty of reporting everything I read, but I can't possibly verify. I did read some people writing that uh, the part of the success of the set booster was the number of boxes allocated per uh, per the uh, WPN uh, shop, which yeah. was much. It higher almost seemed like artificially so... inflated. Yeah. yeah. So I I can't I can't like. I don't know exactly how it looks like from the inside, uh, 
I don't know, maybe in, in the US, I think there is a very different system with those box allocation things. Because I know my LGS, the person running it just buys boxes randomly. And uh, <laughs> now we have a bunch of, uh, I think that right that there are some moments when they go really deep and they run out of stock completely and you like only have Phyrexia <laughs> OP1 and uh, chaotic pro pro probably still fallen empires. <laughs> <laughs> I have talked to some LGS owners though. and. Uh, about that topic well before i mean before the play booster thing was even on the horizon uh and and i have some of the store owners i've talked to have kind of backed up what you were saying there circuit it's just we were only allowed to buy so many draft boosters and the rest had to be set boosters and so like they couldn't do prize support in draft boosters for example or they weren't even allowed to sell draft boxes because they needed to be able to run drafts in the store so they had to reserve all the boxes they were allowed to buy and that might not be watsi's problem it might be the distributors doing that it might be watsi doing it to the distributors who then have to trickle it down to the stores i'm yeah. not sure but Again, i have it's, heard it's, store owners yeah. back that up yeah it, it is a tricky 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 issue uh whether we needed those set boosters i do un like knowing by myself if i would buy a pack to open i'll buy a set booster same but i yeah, also want I, draft boosters to be there and i think that consolidating them is neat but it's not without issues mm -hmm. but okay just to come back briefly on the summary of the um what's the difference between the current packs and uh, and uh, the new ones as the old packs had average of one rare because there was one rare slot the new ones will have on average, like 1.3, 1.4 rares, depending on which estimates of what will be in this wildcard slot are. And there's going to be three, three and a bit uncommons, uh, and there's going to be a big reduction in number of commons. They're going to drop to 8.6 rather than 10. And that's the main difference. There's going to be 1.4 commons less, and there's going to be 0.4 rares more per pack. Now, I saw some comments in the various threads that were clogging up Twitter uh, about all this, saying that maybe that's okay because in every set, there's maybe the bottom 10 or so commons that no one puts in their deck almost literally ever. Do you think they'll keep designing sets such as that is a thing? Or So one thing that was mentioned during the release and then later confirmed by several people involved in set design is that the change in the booster composition is going to drive the change in how people design sets. So for example, mm. my main worry when I heard that announcement was not about the extra 0.4 rares per pack. Definitely, I was not panicking that someone in the sealed might open 24 rares, of which chance <laughs> is probably something like one in billion. I'll wait for a screenshot. Someone will do it. One in billion. I, don't, I, I think we might have to wait several years for that to happen and then do we believe in humanity <laughs> to get us there yeah uh my main worry was that it's going to create a weird imbalance in removal to creature threat ratios mm. in the decks because you will have fewer commons open most removal is at common level which means if you have fewer of those you all of a sudden have like 10% less removal. And if you have 10% less removal, 
the creature threats are going to become more potent and the strategies will become more creature heavy because of course you also don't have enough removal to fill your decks. Removal will go even further high in picks and that might become a problem. Now, people from design have said that they take those things into account and for example, they will uh, increase the number of uncommon uh, quality removals which is something. Let's see how it plays out. I, we can't really uh, evaluate how it's going to work before seeing how it works, really. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely reassured that they are thinking about those imbalances um, that are related to the trimming of the number of commons per pack. But of course, it will change some strategies. Like, you had those decks where you have to collect them all in, um, in, in Limited, and you know, you want to have your six Merfolk Secret Keepers in your Eldraine draft. Mm -hmm. That will happen less frequently because you will have probably slightly fewer commons and average copies per draft. Now, how wizards want to tackle that is that they shift the numbers. Instead of normally having 100 commons and 80 uncommons, they said that the new packs are going, the new sets are going to have 80 commons and 100 uncommons. So you have mm. longer rosters of uncommons that probably will be slightly rarer, but because there are fewer commons, you should get at least similar numbers, which uh, is encouraging. And they specifically said that they are going to trim on some of those commons that they know are unplayable because they know that they're unplayable cards and they put them on purpose in the set because you cannot put everything uh, it, that is a banger because limited will become problematic if every single card is a banger. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I guess that putting 100 uncommons is opening some slots for constructed plants at uncommon level, which is also good because that may mean that there will be cards at uncommon level which are designed not to be great in draft, but to be great in constructed, which also will maybe reduce some pressure on having everything at rare in, um, in constructed. But, you know, I remember times when uncommons and commons were routinely played in constructed decks, but now it's just, you know, Not four so shieldreds, four fables, and uh, <laughs> yeah. some lands, and, and, and all of a sudden you're like 700 quid in the back uh, uh, building your standard deck. Well, luckily now, uh, fable is banned, but, uh, uh, but a couple of months ago, that was the case. So that hopefully is going to help also constructed if they can open up some space for cards that are not playable really in limited, but can be playable in constructed at uncommon level because they have hundred uncommons per set. Yeah, I, yeah, I hadn't really considered that. Mero did also in a separate response uh, explicitly, well, how explicit, uh, I guess is up to interpretation, but he did say that they're, they're leaning from an R&D perspective toward making commons more generally useful. So things that would be more quote unquote sideboardable effects are going to be either pushed to modular cards only at common or just push to uncommon full stop. So we won't necessarily see as many of the, oh, this card would be great, but it's a sideboard only card in the common slot. We won't see, or at least it sounds like we won't see as many of, wait, as wait. Many of those kinds of cards at common. That, does it mean that they're going to take my broken wings? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just going to make it an uncommon. Or oh, they'll just add a, add a modular uh, really, a little yeah. extra effect to it. That was the power shifting it up. Technically, it was always a modular spell. You had a choice of three. I suppose that's true. No, no, now it's an uncommon. That just means it's better, right? Okay, that's good. <laughs> so uh, that's a lot of the details, right? Now, let's talk about some other facts that relate to this. There's going to be a price increase, and this is not 
great. Uh, I guess let, let's save side commentary for later. We, we have plenty of opinions. We'll hold off on takes. But there will be a price increase, right? Now, Mark specifically said that uh, these play boosters will be priced at the set booster level. Uh, 36 packs per box instead of 30 for set boosters. So that's something. Uh, now, play booster boxes will be more expensive than set booster boxes were, although the actual price hasn't been announced. What are we looking at? 150. Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen the uh, few estimates come in at around 155. Sort of expecting, and again, the the play boosters are priced. I guess if you were to just be able to buy an individual booster from Wizards, you'd get it at the same price as a set booster. The change in pricing comes from the boxes because the boxes now have six more packs in them than a set booster box did. Yeah, so that's the only thing that drives up the price of a box because a bo- bigger box, higher price. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the thing I wrote about today is that, uh, and this is my main worry for that, uh, because I do know that already at my LGS, there are some people who are on the border. You have to sort of convince them to play a draft because they, uh, they quote that it costs too much just to play a draft. Um, and they are not the kind of people that will open packs for fun. So they will not be swayed by the fact that you get an extra open for rare per pack while you're drafting. Um, they buy singles because they want to play constructed and buy their singles. It's definitely a better deal to buy singles than to buy uh, uh, boosters. I like sure. opening boosters because I'm a gambler, and that's <laughs> that's why. Um, but um, that increase, you know, it's going to be three dollars, three pounds, however you put it. It's going to increase the price of a draft because um, you only will be able to buy this product draft with and. Prayer is going to be much more expensive as well, mm. which is not great because that should be the entry level tournament. And if you have to pay, you know, 40 pounds for an entry level tournament, people are going to be like a bit uh, iffy about it. Mm. And I made an analogy there um, in the, in- I know it's, a, I hate analogies, but uh, uh, they are sometimes good way of depicting something. Um it's really hard to calculate the inflation on cars, especially when we're talking about the multi-decade trends of the prices. And I posted a picture of Volkswagen Golf, I think a new S, it's called Rabbit, potentially, uh, as a model. It's a small car. You wouldn't know that it exists. It's a small city car. Um, but you can see them, how they evolved from 1970s to now. And one thing that will strike you is that they got a whole lot bigger. It's the same model of the car, but they got a whole lot bigger. The safety features, the first one, the safety features were brake and potentially a seat belt if you are willing to use it. Now they have, of course, all the curtains, airbags, um, controlled um, controlled impact zones, uh, uh, ABS, whatever you think of, probably traction control, probably like some kind of a lane control. All those things were added to the car. So if you compare the car from 75 that didn't have those features and compare the car from now that has those features, you can't compare them one to one because they are different cars because mm. of how much technology has been done. This one will have like radio MP3 player, probably some screens and whatnot. The other one had like a cassette player, maybe, maybe if probably you had to buy it separately. So um, because of that, those things are incomparable. But if you would compare them, by a value of a similar car in those times, you would come up with that the modern Golf is actually cheaper than the comparable car uh, from the 70s. Really? The only difference is that 
the comparable car in the 70s was a luxury model that only like millionaires could afford. Oh. And now you have to buy the same kind of car with the same kind of equipment that millionaires in the 70s were buying, but you are just a regular family. That's why, you know, lots of families will not be able to afford a brand new car because it's a massive cost because mm -hmm. all those features inflated it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that, you know, putting safety features in a car was a bad idea, but the problem is that, <laughs> of course, you cannot buy the 1975 Volkswagen Golf because the car with such a bare equipment does not exist, which means that, you know, people are priced out of buying a new car. And same happens here with the boosters. Uh, they were costing one unit. Now they're going to cost one unit plus 10%. And they say, okay, you get 0.4 rares more per pack. But it doesn't really matter for a drafter because you're not buying a pack to open it. You're buying a pack to draft. It would be nice mm -hmm. to have like this basic product that you can draft uh, as cheap as possible because you get the experience of drafting and you don't care that much about the value of the cards inside. And if, yeah. if, if you're the kind of a person that sells cards or uh, trades them, you're probably not going to be trading them because you drafted so much. You're going to be probably trading them because you bought a lot of packs and you want to convert those things into value. As a drafter, you know, I'm, I'm drafting like in paper four or five times a, a season, if even. Uh, I'm going to open some rares. Most of the time, I'm just going to put it in my collection, uh, trade the commander one with the commander people for triumphs or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, open the manga uh, Rhystic Studies that goes quickly away uh, nice. and it gets converted into playable cards for Modern or, or Pioneer. Um, but, you know, I'm, I, I would rather have the cheaper draft as cheap as physically possible so that more people will be playing that draft with me uh, and not avoiding me, not avoiding drafts and, and, and deciding to play Commander instead. Mm -hmm. Now, something that strikes me about this proposed solution this is a problem that they created in the first place by creating the set boosters, right? Before, in the olden days, there used to just be draft boosters. Collector boosters, we don't talk about them. Uh, but then they made these set boosters, and now they're saying, okay, well, here's the solution to our problem, which is that we have these two booster types. Definitely. And then the solution is to hybridize these into something that apparently everybody wants, forgetting almost that we didn't, speaking just from the limited perspective, didn't necessarily need the set booster in the first place. Uh, and, and a really striking point was that uh, some, some data sales uh, statistics showed that the majority of players who opened boosters at all were not playing them in limited formats, assuming that accounts for both draft boosters and set boosters. Uh, and I don't know if they were just looking at the you know, packs that I would win and then crack instead of taking store credit. Maybe I should regret always taking packs instead of store credit. But like you said, I'm also a gambler. So <laughs> who can I mean, resist that's the approach. mystery box? Mystery box every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Ben, that quote from, from Mero was interesting too. And I mean, you paraphrase it there, but yeah, essentially he said that they found the majority of players who open a booster. And I wonder if open a booster includes drafts. Probably not. Um, I'm assuming that's people who purchase and then open boosters separate from actually drafting them. Anyway. Um, don't play limited with those boosters. They also found that the more, uh, the, the longer you play magic, the more likely limited is a core reason as to why you continue to play the game. So it's interesting that though most people aren't playing limited with the packs they open, the longer term players, the more indoctrinated or, you know, whatever you want to call them players who've been around a while are increasingly playing limited. 
there's probably something to unpack there that I haven't taken the time to think through, but um, I thought it was an interesting maybe correlation. I don't even know if it's if it's tight enough to call mm. it a correlation even. It's but. just, you know, the longer you play, the more you understand the game. The more you understand the game, the more you realize Limited is the best format ever, and that's 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 how it works. I mean, I don't think Fair I enough. have preached. I'm preaching to the choir here. Zach, do we have sure. an applause uh, button on the... We sure do. It's going to be super delayed now, but, uh, you know, we can, <laughs> we can throw that in there. Anyway. All good in the hood. Sweet. Let's pick it back up. Uh, we'll jump down to the, the good, the bad, and uh, the unknown. I'm going to give some takeaways here. All right. Let's jump down to some of the good things that this all brings us, right? And this has been a lot of information. Those of you that, again, are less terminally on Twitter than us, uh, maybe it's worth going and checking out some of these threads because this is going to impact everybody, everybody that plays, because these changes are coming to Arena too, actually. Now, uh, maybe those that are less terminally online, maybe you happen to be a newer player, newer to limited. Uh, this is actually, I think, going to be good for newer players. Uh, I mean, this helps you start off a collection with a pack that lets you potentially get multiple cool shiny rares and let's be honest that's a big hook right i can remember the first rare mythic foil rare that i've ever pulled um short crasher elemental was was that one and uh that those stick with you right as a magic player that's a core part of how a lot of players interact with the game and i guess it's not buying singles but at least you're getting better value off of this than a draft booster right yeah, I think that especially like it's going to be very hard to speak about good uh, in absolute terms before we know exactly how it plays out, because there's lots of things that potentially can be very good. And um, experience of opening a pack with multiple rares is always nice. And opening in the draft, especially when you're the second player that gets past the bulk busted <laughs> rare, it's going to be great. Because oh yeah, you get past the pack, you normally expect to see, you know, like a decent uncommon maybe, rare is probably missing. But if you get past, like, someone picked a great mythic for value and you get past the, past the bomb rare, uh, it's going to be a great feeling, I guess. And it will happen relatively frequently because 40% of the packs have two rares. And I remember, yeah. like, drafting the double master set, are atro atrociously expensive drafts. But it was fun because you got past the second rare and you got a second chance of getting something decent for yourself. Another thing that comes to mind is when playing Vintage Cube and you open two pieces of power or when you get past a piece of power and some people will knee jerk and say, oh, the person to my right is an idiot. But I, I do like to think of it as they probably just opened two pieces of power, like a Mox and a Soul Ring or something. And that is also a fun, unique experience that leads to very tight choices that you don't often have to make. And this is going to test a, a, a skill aspect that maybe isn't tested that often, which is, okay, you can you know look and see that they're rare and you probably remember that that's better than most uncommons but which between two rares or two good rares or maybe even two mediocre rares do you take maybe you take neither right we'll definitely have to work harder on the pick orders because usually, <laughs> yeah. you know like till the uncommon level they made sense and above rare it's like is this an a minus or a it had absolutely no meaning. Now it's going to have, because you're going to have, to have those choices from time to time. So that's, that's interesting. Obviously also the, um, what's this still doing in the pack guy in your LGS will oh, have a time of Get rid life. of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now, the other what's thing this? though, it's, it's interesting too, because, um, 
our I think our rare roundup episodes are going to be far more useful now going forward, Ben. <laughs> That's true. I'm just picturing someone shouting, what's this still doing in the pack? But after the first pass, which I don't think I've ever actually seen, but now it could happen and I'm ready to throw hands because that would be very rude. <laughs> um, and don't think you arena players, uh, you arena exclusive players have dodged this because this change is coming to arena too. Although, um, did they announce specifically how they're going to handle the list on arena yet? I assume that the list is going to be just introduced. They, I, I didn't read yeah. anything about it. I assume that the foil wildcard slot is just going to be a wildcard slot. Mm-hmm. But I also heard, and I'm not 100% sure of that, that the price of the draft is not going to um, increase. I saw that as well. Which means that we get 0.4 rares extra per pack for free. And this is like yep. strictly a good change, I guess, for arena collectors. Um, it's going to be much easier to complete your set uh, using draft. Much easier. Because right now, if I play 20, 25 drafts per month, that's not that's barely enough to make my collection. I mean, I will be able to craft everything uh, using wildcards, but I don't get there on the mythics. And I think that with those changes, I might be uh, capable of doing that just by drafting the same amount as I did. Which, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to have all the cards in every set in Arena, it's not a terrible expense for you to play 25 drafts a month. I'm a, a devotee of the Ryan Spain school, uh, wherein we look and, you know, when it's pack three and there's like six cards left and there's a ley line of anticipation and then like a marginal playable for your already just okay red white deck. And you're like, maybe the EV is actually better to just slam that ley line. I've already been in that camp. So this this is a pretty good change for me. You know, I analyzed it. I, I, I accidentally founded this set because I... Not in every set, but in some of the sets, I look at this ALSA measure, which is how late the cards go in the pack. I look at it, but normally it's a number that tells you something about the card generally. But I also try to calculate those numbers for each different pack, just to see are there cards that are picked higher in pack one, are there cards that are picked higher in pack three. Hmm. And uh, normally it's the signposts and commons get picked earlier in pack one because people want to pick them to sort of have identity what they're drafting and they pick them earlier and later of course they maybe are in the wrong color so they have to pass them later and and, and they uh, wheel uh, and normally fixing is picked much earlier in pack three because people don't prioritize fixing in the first two packs then they realize oh god i don't have any fixing please 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 evolving wilds come my way um and i saw all those things in um in woe but what I also saw is that every single one of those uh, enchantment um, special slot rare cards are picked earlier in pack three. <laughs> so I'm assuming these are the, oh, I don't see anything for my deck in the pack. I might as well get 20 gems at some stage. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Like, I would take it, what did I say, a sixth or seventh pick, whereas I would never take a ley line in pack one. Yeah, so, exactly. Because in pack one, <laughs> you're still it's open literally last. for what you're going to be drafting. You're not limited to two colors more, more most of the time. If I'm drafting like a red-white deck in pack three and I pack, pack, pick four, I see nothing for my deck. Or like the fifth copy of something that I'm going to play only two copies of uh, mm-hmm. and I see the rare, I just snap pick it. Now, yeah, now, I think the other good thing that this has caused for just magic is in, in general is that life gets a lot easier for store owners. There's one product they have to buy. They don't need to deal with 
what my allocation is for X versus Y. Uh, did I even purchase the right product? Uh, Mero even put up a thing where he accidentally, he sat down for a draft and accidentally himself cracked a set booster instead of a draft booster because I couldn't <laughs> tell them apart. Um, That's right. Funny. So things get way easier. And then there's like the whole back end of like dealing with SKUs and stuff, which I don't own a store, so I'm not going to get into, but I've heard that it's quite complicated. Uh, with so many products floating around. So things are going to get way simpler for store owners. They're going to get way in, way simpler for consumers as well. You can just say, I want a booster again, like we used to, unless you want to spend $30 on a collector's booster. Those aren't going anywhere. Um, but I think in general, that's probably the best thing to come out of this is just that life gets a bit simpler. We've all been complaining, I think, about how complicated the you whole set buying things. To, life returns to being simple. Right. Yes. After being complicated. Yes. We can manufacture problems that we can then manufacture solutions to. It's like those firemen that uh, later, uh, that are arsonists and then later <laughs> try to be heroes by extinguishing the fires that they themselves started. Absolutely. And uh, charging people to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, there's some things that. I'm a little less stoked for with this change. Um, sealed in particular, I've seen some pretty, pretty solid reasoning on. Um, I mean, what if, what if you happen to have a high variant sealed environment where you open just, you know, what you might see as a traditional sealed and maybe you get like one extra rare and then you play against someone who opened nine rares, 10 rares, maybe not 24, but a bunch more on color rares and one of their rares was even the you know dinosaur chris pratt the list secret layer printing that they decided for this set to put in this opens up some windows for for nonsense in sealed right it, this feels like it makes sealed more high variance i don't know circuits is that a, a reasonable takeaway i don't know i mean sealed can be high variance in regular draft packs if the set yeah. is unbalanced. I mean, I do remember like Terrors Beyond and there was some kind of a GP-like event and uh, all the top tables of the sealed portion had Dream Trawler in them. Like, uh, That's funny. There was just basically Dream Trawler mirrors all the way through because that card was just so busted and so frequent that if you had a decent pool where you could play it, you just like wear on the top tables. Sounds like Zach's so, dream. <laughs> dream Trawler mirrors just all day. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, I, I guess that they will have to make sure in the design process that, for example, rare power level is relatively even. That there are no like super outliers at rare level. That you keep those super powerful cards to the mythic, as they should in every set, realistically. Um, there uh, have been plenty of sets where one atrocious rare was making and breaking the whole format. I mean, like, think about mm. Pash Rats or something like that. Tetsamok, um, Glorybringer. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. I mean, all of those things. So they will have to put more effort into that because uh, with those extra rares, uh, that's just going to be more common and that can become really menacing in the sealed. But if they do their design, if they do the set design correctly, I don't think that they, the problem will be that big. I think that um, uh, even in sealed, you can limit the amount of that variance. And, you know, somehow still... Uh, Good limited players, even with the medium pool, are going to do well in those events. That, that should be fine. Something else I'm not super stoked about is the guaranteed price increase. 
the, the biggest issue that I see here is that draft is draft and sealed and pre-release, as we mentioned, are often roads for newer Magic players to get into what we all do agree is the best format, in part due to its accessibility and uh, the fact that you don't need. Well, I guess I would say that use some teaching terms. Um, limited tends to lower the barrier for entry, right? I mean, this makes it easier for people to access. You don't need to know the metagame knowledge. You don't need to study deck lists. You don't need to study sideboard plans. Uh, in some ways, it's it's a more streamlined approach to playing Magic for the first time. And let's say a, a, a traditional draft pack right now of Woe is around three fifty five uh, US dollars, that is. Uh, and a Woe set booster is uh, $5.19. That's an increase of around 30%. And that means we can probably expect because these play boosters will mirror the set booster price, an increase in the cost of draft by around 30%. And let's be honest, it was already getting more expensive. I've been paying above $15 to draft. I don't think I've paid $15 to draft since before college. Yeah, and it's actually going to be more than that, right? Because again while they're keeping the price per pack at the set booster price, because boxes are more expensive, the end consumer is going to end up paying more per, per draft than even if you were to just be buying set boosters as the prices are today. So we don't know by how much, but it yeah, will be a that, bit more that, than that's that. Gonna, so I'm, I'm split in this argument because on one hand, I know that generally pack price have been stable for decades, which is weird in its own right, that there hasn't yeah. been an increase in the pack. On yeah. the other hand, I'm not surprised because producing the pack costs close to nothing. You can print those things in millions uh, without a problem. <laughs> I do know that some money goes into the R&D and set design, whatever, marketing, but they are raking it for every pack that they sell because the cost of reproduction is just so low that, uh, and the scale is so big that um, uh, you, know, you can probably fit uh, all the cost of the des uh, card design department within... 5% of the packs that they sell. The rest is just great. So on one hand, I do understand the increase because inflation. On one hand, I don't understand. I, I, I do understand people complaining about the prices because this game is getting expensive. And I know that some people are going to be priced out of living. And I'm not happy about it because I want to make sure that magic is available to everyone. I think the solution we're going to make in our LGS, if I have a say in that, is that Instead of playing four drafts per format, we're going to try to play three drafts per format and one uh, cube. We're going to make uh, probably a proxy version of Vintage Cube or something like that. Sweet. And we're going to play that because we're going to make a deal with our uh, LGS owner um, that we're going to pay like the commander people play just for playing and maybe some extra for prize pack prizes. And people will be happy to play that because they will have a free draft that they don't have to, you know, that it doesn't have to burden their finances. With that, we should be able to keep the total price of playing limited tournaments in the shop at the same level, uh, playing the same amount of limited, but one of them will be basically a free tournament. So that's, 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 that's what awesome I'm idea. thinking about doing. If I can make it a deal uh, with our LGS owner, which I assume I will do, or we can also make another thing, which is, on occasions, I buy myself a box that I plan to open anyway. We're going to draft it in the shop, paying only for the privilege of playing in the shop. Uh, I'm going to keep all the cards, and we're just going to play a draft through that. We did it a couple of times. Normally, we do it outside of the LGS, but we can start doing it also in the LGS. So people can play limited for free, basically. That's awesome. 
Yeah. And, and listeners, if you find yourself maybe a little concerned and uh, your local game store maybe is getting more expensive, then these are some great options. Um, well, now, I, I, I am a socialist. I'm not, I, I, <laughs> I, I do think that if you can afford something that other people cannot afford it, you can share it. And uh, obviously my sharing is not completely altruistic because uh, I, I still keep all the cards for me, but at least they can get the experience of playing limited without uh, investing the money into it. So that's at least one yeah. thing I can do. I mean, I, I'm not rich, rich gift cards away for free, but I'm rich enough to buy a box on occasions and, 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 and use that so that other people can play a draft without. I, I think maybe you're just, um, you're just delegating your gambling, right? <laughs> Outsourcing. That's also true. <laughs> I, oh, I've, I would, I've done the same I, thing. I wonder too if we're going to start seeing LGSs change the way they handle prize support and maybe either give like top top end the the prize support a little bit more or give less prize support or maybe even let players stash like I would be kind of excited if an LGS let me like let's say I I hit first place at a draft I get five packs or whatever I end up getting and they let me like either store credit or just stash the packs there so I can just reuse them plus an entry fee or something for the next draft. Um, seeing that would be nice. It's something I wish arena would let us do is just like use our packs for entry like MTGO does. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious if we'll see just price support in general, take a turn and, and kind of be something that LGS is experiment with a bit more to try to keep yeah. people coming back, but also make it less expensive for them to run drafts. Yeah, that's actually a smart idea. Uh, um, my LGS is a very flat price structure. Everyone gets a pack, and if you have okay. a positive record, you get a two. You get two packs. Nice. That's, that's basically it. <laughs> and I think yeah. it, I, I I do like it again for the same reason. You don't want, uh, especially in a small LGS, same people getting the all the prizes every week and everyone else watching them opening them because that's just mm-hmm. not going to work. So I always liked it that. Even at the pre-release, when you get like 20, 25 people coming in, you everyone will get two packs and maybe like the winner will get like a special promo pack or something. I like yeah. it. I will say too, one, and this kind of jumps into the unknown, which is the next section we kind of wanted to cover. One thing that I have thought about a little bit with this announcement is what does this do to the draft experience outside of like what I'm opening? I wonder, I'm a little excited for the challenge, but I also wonder how complicated reading lanes is going to get because you don't necessarily know how many rares somebody opened if they open three and they pass you like by pick four you may be getting still getting past a rare uh does that mean the lanes open does that mean it's well those were just all the rares that were open they're still just the best cards in the pack are we going to see like maybe you stop looking at power level strictly not in pack like pick three but instead in pick four or five because you're just getting past stuff that doesn't really signal what lane you're supposed to be in yet. I mean, we all drafted March of the Machine. And it was fine. Yeah, you could read the true. signals. March of the Machine had 8.5 commons per pack. Hmm. It's quite Very close. similar Sounds to like the this. numbers that this is going to get. Yeah. It had 1.33 rares and mythics per pack. Very similar to it's this quite one. Close. Obviously, you didn't get the packs with like three rares, I think. I mean, no, you could, you could even get those. Because you, you could, could. Have we did an, a whole episode on it, yeah. Battle, you c- um, uh, the multiverse legend or whatever, and then uh, regular rare. So you could even get three rares. Yeah. And we, we did it. It was fine. So I think that... It was fun, too. Yeah, it's just like, 
I definitely am counting on the fact that the design team will deliver because I don't have any reasons not to trust them delivering it because I do know that they delivered a bunch of really good limited sets uh, in recent years. And, you know, some of them were maybe more on the mid-size side, but these were still excellent considering that predominaria sets. So um, I, I do trust the design team as the one of the branches of WOTC that I do trust uh, quite yeah. a lot. So um, I'm not worried about that that much. It might require some adjustments, but there might be some new heuristics. And for me, it's going to be super fun to figure them out by looking at 17 lens data. Da, 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 yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see how 17 Lands continues to. Well, I, I hope particularly to see some changes uh, once we get a couple sets like this to see what are the big measurable effects. Now, uh, another unknown thing is how will this feel different? Will people actually enjoy this more? There are a ton of over the top, in some cases, vitriolic takes uh, about how this will affect the limited experience. I am of the camp of let's just wait and see. You know, this is something that's hard to say beforehand and change. People tend to respond strongly to it. I think it's a good learning and growing opportunity to take a step back and say, you know, life is about change and maybe it's time we change along with it. Yeah, my feeling on that is that I not only want to wait for things to change, but I also want to approach them optimistically. And I always mm -hmm. like, when the new set gets released, I always say, let's not be grim about the new set. Uh, let's wait for it to play out. After three drafts, you can't really say that, oh, this is the best set ever. This is the worst <laughs> set ever. It's just, the algorithm I, that, it just kills me every single time. Give it time. You know, you need probably like 20 drafts or, or spending seven hours looking at Excel sheets in, uh, to understand that if the new set is good or actually bad. Uh, so uh, I generally would tend to advise uh, waiting and waiting with an optimistic mindset because my experience is that if you wait on something and you're like mildly optimistic about things can be decent, uh, you end up experiencing uh, things in a nicer way than if you sit miserably sulking and say that, oh, world is ending, magic is going to fail for the upteenth time since uh, Alpha when it failed for the first time by releasing cards, actually. Um, well, that's the thing. Like Saying it's the end of Limited as you know it, I think maybe people clicked on this podcast knowing that that connotation was going to be that this is a strictly bad thing. I don't think it is. I think that is a literal statement. I think it's just this yeah, is it's literally it factual. Is. It is. It's also the beginning of the limited as we don't know it, which is a much yes. nicer message that I will. Maybe we should change the title. I will retweet. Uh, I will. Oh yeah, if you change the title, I would. I would be actually happy about that change. I think it's a better title because I'm. I'm, I'm here for it. Because let's make that change. Because it implies the same thing. Yes. But it sends a positive message and also is less clickbaity. Mm -hmm. because I think, uh, you don't want to drag yeah. those negative people as your chefficionados. The chefficionados oh, should true. be a cheerful bunch. Happy. I think Look at Oregon. Happy times. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, here's something. I think you've also... This speaks to your skill. You've done the impossible of managing to go viral and be very successful. Having spent all that time and, and effort browsing through seven hours worth of spreadsheets, right? Whereas someone on day one... Uh, can easily just, you know, someone with a couple hundred Twitter followers will say, this set is 
the worst garbage I have ever touched in my life. It'll instantly get a thousand likes. And then people have that skewed viewpoint for a while. So you're doing the good work of, of being patient, taking the time and looking at things with a more just positive and, and healthy approach. I just think I, I don't want some likes. I just, I, 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 because I mean, I'm, those likes are not going to bring food on my plate in any way <laughs> in the foreseeable future. And I also don't want that likes. I don't want to, do, to have support from people that do certain things. I, I do understand. You're an idealist. I, I, do, I do understand. I, I, I can afford to be an idealist, which is a great position to be in. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I wish to anyone that they could afford to be an idealist. That's why I believe that you know, society can be changed in such a way that more people would be able to afford being idealist because we would end up with a slightly better society, I think. Agreed. Um, that I would retweet. There you go. <laughs> you can quote me on that one. Not to harsh the mood, but there, there is something that I wanted to address that Mark Rosewater uh, mentioned during this whole announcement. As you mentioned on Twitter, uh, he said, if we didn't do anything referring to this change, draft boosters were going away. This whole change was to save drafting and other limited formats. And he later clarified, uh, we do a lot of future forecasting. Had trends continued the way they were going, we believed the draft booster were in danger of going away due to market forces. No one in Wizards slash Hasbro was trying to get rid of limited play. What are our thoughts on this? I think that's completely true. My my take on what I saw from him was that I think he maybe rushed into the first response and people ran with it a little too hard. Um, what what I think ended up happening was they made the set boosters expect like, and I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, be a little optimistic about it. They made the set boosters trying to give people that didn't play limited a better opening pack experience, get more rares and such. Then people started buying set boosters far more than limited uh, draft boosters, supply, demand, whatever. And if you're seeing money roll in from one product versus another, companies do it all the time where they ax products that aren't making certain thresholds of sales. And if that's just how the sales trends were going, they would have ended up axing draft boosters because it didn't make sense for LGSs to have two products available. It didn't make sense for Watsi to be printing two different products if nobody was buying the second, et cetera, et cetera. So rather than just ax, ax the product, let's merge the two and give everybody something that it's like uh, halfway happy. <laughs> everybody gets something. I mean, for, for me, this statement had one, if you think, if I know anything about production, it would have been a big problem if they would have to have separate production lines for cards for the draft boosters. And that's a big investment for the company and um, making specific cards for draft boosters that wouldn't sell much would be definitely would be a cost. But of course, the reality is that these are the same card. They're just packaged slightly differently. The sorting machine right. is programmed slightly differently and you put a different uh, amount of foil to wrap them in with a slightly different drawing. So mm-hmm. I don't, distribution cost might be one thing, but I don't think that the cost of printing the draft boosters would have been so humongously large for them. So mm-hmm. I sense Porky's here. By Porky's, I mean Porky Pie's lies. Um, I do think that it makes better to have the unified product, but I will have to notice that unification costs me uh, roughly 30% extra. Yeah. Well, and that's where I start to, that's like the other aspect of this potential, this particular comment from, from Mark was 
like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. If you're talking about the products, I can see a world where like, yeah, maybe draft boosters get phased out where I don't see them as then like, what's the justification for the price increase in yeah. that level? Again, we talked about, it's actually pretty surprising. Draft boosters never haven't gone up in decades. That is genuinely a surprising thing. It's like kind of like a, uh, Arizona iced tea. Like it's been a 99 cents forever. Um, I am surprised and packs have like normal packs haven't gone up. Smaller, well, yeah. That's yeah. True. <laughs> um, but they'll do that with I, cards, right? My problem is, is the extent to which they're increasing prices through this process. It would have been way more palatable if we went to like a $4 booster or, you know, if, if woe is 355 and we went up 50 cents per booster, fine. I kind of get it. Right. But it doesn't really cost them any more to print these, these boosters over any other. Here I'm going super out of my depth, so uh, disregard right if I'm saying something completely rubbish. But I think that if you would not increase the price of those packs, secondary market people might be angry. Because in the end, you're paying this $1 extra to open 40% more rares. Mm-hmm. And if you would not increase the price of the packs, then the rares would be cheaper probably. And that would mean that the whole effort of opening the pack, like the whole point of set boosters was apart from the pleasant experience and everything, it was also a, a way of having those big traders that buy, you know, pallets and pallets of product that they have to open 40% fewer boosters to get the same amount of rares to sell because their labor costs were just uh, overwhelming them because, you know, a person had to open, if they have to open 10,000 packs, now they have to open whatever 60,000 packs uh, or 6,000 packs, which is a slight difference in terms of how much labor, manual sorting you need to do to get rid of all that chaff. So that was the part of the rationale for the set boosters as well. Quicker opening of massive amounts of products for super big traders. And uh, yeah, if you wouldn't increase the price of those packs uh, sufficiently, you just open so many more rares for much less money. And that means all the singles go down, which means that it becomes a bit untenable for those big traders to uh, continue opening massive amounts of product and, and selling them. But again, here I'm a bit out of my depth in terms of how that operates in details. These are the numbers I, you know, these are one of the magic numbers I, I'm not an expert in. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I didn't really think about the secondary market too much in terms of the like large scale, you know, uh, secondary market traders that are doing this almost as, as a know, job, right? They, they are probably more important than the whole limited play base in terms of um, how much money they deliver to Watsi. So they are definitely a stakeholder that they are keeping uh, close tabs with. And uh, mm. I guess that they have the say in what's going on as well. I am curious. It would, it would be interesting to hear if they had ever in the process of generating like what a play booster looks like, if they ever considered reintroducing MSRP. I don't know if, uh, well, they had like, they had gotten rid of MSRP for like the way stores are allowed to set prices for packs. Um, and I wonder if, if they had ever considered bringing that back, if that would help or if that would hurt. I don't, I don't know. Is MSRP RRP? Uh, retail price in yes. Yeah. 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 Market standard retail. I didn't realize that was, that was like a country specific thing or regional specific at least. Now let's uh let's dive into some final thoughts here. Uh, maybe we could each take some time and, and just wrap this all up. So I mean, ultimately, limited. It's not going anywhere, at least for now. 
sealed. Some people seem to think it is. I'm not really sure about that either. I think time will tell. And look, they're not changing all of magic. There's still 30 ish years of magic sets that you can go out and buy whole boxes of some of which were very cheap and still draft those just like normal. If you want to open a good old fashioned pack with 10 commons, three uncommons, a rare, and then some other junk, go buy a box and, and you can do that, right? Go find some friends. You can draft that, uh, make a cube. The draft chaff cube remains 25 cents a card and it's a 540 cube and it's on average. And it is awesome. It is such a fun draft. And it will always be such a fun draft, and I own a copy of it. And despite what the powers that be might wish they could do, they cannot make me pay for this thing again. <laughs> I will always have my cube. I always have magic to play. And uh, that's a, a great feeling, to be honest. It's worth the investment. And ultimately, uh, I do trust the designers. I do trust Mark Rosewater, and I have ultimate faith in their team that I feel like they were kind of our shield on this one. I think maybe they helped us. Maybe they blocked a, a bigger bullet than we really even know. And uh, they have done some great work recently in set design and in product releases and even some of the secret layer stuff that I had doubts in. I've had to come around on and say, yeah, you know, they, they've executed this pretty well. And I guess with March of the Machine being a great equivalent, I do kind of feel as though, yeah, I have already done this. Maybe it won't be that big of a change after all. And to mirror what we were kind of saying earlier, Change is natural. It's good. And while it scares some people, uh, growing to embrace changes, I guess that's it's part of the human condition, right? What are your all final thoughts on this? Let's wrap it up. It's bedtime. I find it funny that the first mystery we we're going to have to solve in the murder at the Karloff Manor is going to be, what's in the pack? <laughs> yeah. who Who is really getting murdered? Is it... Sealed my, or is my it wallet. Uh, my, my wallet. or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, I mean, Ben, you wrapped it up pretty nicely there. I'm actually pretty excited for the beginning of this new era of limited. I think, um, you know, one of my maybe cliche, but favorite sayings is that, uh, you know, growth dies in the comfort zone. So I'm kind of excited to get out of my comfort zone here a little bit, try something slightly different. Again, I think, Circumference did a great job breaking down the numbers. On average, the packs aren't that different. And if you compare them to mom specifically, they're almost no different at all. So it should be relatively familiar. Mom, that cost exactly the same as any other draft booster. <laughs> By the way, yes. I mean, just, 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 saying, yes. just saying, you paid exactly the same amount of money for the mom booster as you paid for the regular draft booster. Somehow yes. it was feasible there. Well, that's, I, I would, we would, I'm very uh, curious how things would like what the reaction would have been from everybody if they had said, Hey, we're doing all these changes, we're making a new play booster, but it's at the price of a draft booster. So you're getting your set boosters for a discount. I know we were just talking about like secondary market stuff and, and what that effect could have, but it would have been cool if they did like maybe even a middle ground. And I'm curious what the like reaction would have mm -hmm. been by the community if they had done that instead of just saying, I, I Hey, things are getting well, more expensive. Yeah, I think that they're well advised to sweeten our Karloff Manor pre-release some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To make sure that, you know, it, yeah. people feel, feel better because there'll be something extra, you know, like. It is funny that they went splitsies on everything, the number of rares, commons, uh, all that extra stuff, except for the price. You know, they went <laughs> with the high end. Who knew? Well, 
that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. And of course, if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Sirkovitz, what are you up to? Where can everybody find you? What are you working on right now? Anything you want to promote? I I guess I have some washing up to do still. Uh, that's my plan for the next uh, half an hour. I'm at Twitter um, with my multiple thousands of followers. Uh, please join 5, that bunch. Uh, yeah, 5K. I, I, I didn't expect it. That was my plan to sort of reach like December-ish, but I think Ristic Study helped a bit. Um, if you find me on Twitter, then you can find anything else. I have my podcast that's called Magic Numbers. Um, I would... I think that if you like limited but you want to like improve i think that my last several dozens of episodes i try to focus more and more on how data can be used by players who are not maybe super grindy because i think that in general the 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 tragedy of of data and magic is that people who are um beginner players people who have win rate close to 50 percent are the ones that would benefit the most from using data but in reality, the people who benefit the most from data are the people who have win rates around 60, 65% because they, they grind to get better. They look for every piece of information and they get better through anything that they can get. And uh, mm-hmm. it's sad because I think that data is being shown as this grindy thing, but I think it's been the, one of the greatest equilibrators in Limited because you can get the knowledge that a grinder has across 70 drafts in one format by looking at one table in 17 lands for 10 minutes. It's awesome. And get not all of their knowledge, because of course, play experience is a great thing, but you can get quite a lot of knowledge. So if you want mm. to get more versed in how to read the data and how to use it to your advantage, I'd recommend getting to Magic Numbers and having a listen at least sometimes. Great. Thanks, folks. We'll catch you next week. More before we go, Sirkovitz, the last time we had you on here, uh, during our sign-off, I believe we ended up chatting about pasta recommendations or something along these lines. Yep. And uh, to this day, I, I do still buy Rumo, which is the one that you recommended that I can find available around here. Uh, I am wondering, what have you been cooking recently? Recently, it's been tough because we've been all a bit uh, fluey. So I was making soups. Um, soups are a great way of uh, uh, spending autumn in a warm and comfortable place. What I usually do, we try to eat more vegetarian. We're not vegetarians, but we try to eat like you know five days a week uh, meatless. Um, cool. I'm not skipping my salamis and I'm not skipping my hams. <laughs> so that's my uh, meat intake uh, for most of the time. But, you know, like yesterday, I just chucked in a bit of butternut squash, um, chucked in some oh, potatoes to it. Um, the best. Just added some stock. Don't save on the stock, by the way. Uh, you're American, so you are living in the paradise world. Uh, then one thing I'm jealous of of the U.S. people is that you can have a very cheap access to better than bullion uh, uh, bullion paste. This mm. thing is just insane quality stock. They have like vegetable one, they have chicken one, they have uh, lobster one. If you really want, they um, don't have that by, by you. No, no, it's very hard to get. You need to pay extra taxes, and it costs like triple the price. Yikes! I still sometimes buy it, and I ordered it from states, but it's it's much much more expensive. Um, so yeah, if you have access to better than bullion, that's a product that I would highly recommend because it is you know the difference between top end Michelin star restaurants 
and your home cooking is not in how you cook your steak. It's not how you um, uh, cook your vegetables because those things are not that different. Of course, they have some exit. The main difference is in, in sauces and sauces are all based on good quality stock. So this is the way of you sort of like bridging that gap between top end restaurants and your home cooking by using quality stock products yourself. And I would highly Absolutely. Because after that, it's just butternut, some potato. I put some spices. I put a bit of chili. I put a bit of paprika. I put a bit of uh, cumin and just boiled it up. Added some oil at the last step so that you get a bit of the flavor from it. Uh, spread some seeds on top, served with bread from the oven with some cheese melted and uh, everyone was happy. There you go. I do like to make my own stocks, but I have a bunch of better than bullion in my fridge right now. So, yep, definitely keep myself stocked up on that. Maybe we can get you some, uh, send, send over a nice little care package. Yeah, but then, then they would charge me the tax because they would figure out that it's been sent from US. And, ah. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll put it in a big box labeled magic cards. <laughs> <laughs> then they'll really get you. Then my wife would chuck it before opening. <laughs> More magic cards. I thought one box was enough for you. <laughs> I have my, I have a limited amount where I can keep my bulk. I have one of those bulk sorting boxes, and uh, that's where all the cards have to fit. Otherwise, problems. <laughs> now, I'll say I've been trying to find a recipe that is uh, for butternut squash soup that is superior than the Panera bread recipe, and I, I can't imagine the Panera bread recipe it involves as much love and, <laughs> and, and craft as what we've discussed here. Uh, I Man, think first I think, you're, ta- you're on about Olive Garden and now you're on about Panera Bread. What is with you in these crappy <laughs> chains? Well, I, we don't even have them here, so that's fine. Uh, then you I don't know that, just how bad they you know, are. The, 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 the secret of like, because I assume that they are serving this sort of blended version of uh, butternut squash soup. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the secret is double cream. If you add enough mm-hmm. double cream, that soup mm-hmm. is going to be velvety. Fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can concoct a better version of that soup than Panera can. <laughs> I am positive. And my secret oh, yeah. will be, uh, in that particular case, um, toasted almonds. I think that they're an excellent accompaniment for butternut squash in general. And if you add anything with almonds to the soup, and if they are toasted, give it a bit of that crunch. And, of course, drown it in double cream while you're blending. You're going to beat their, their <laughs> recipe. Good stuff. Awesome. <laughs>